Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash YGK. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Merck and Company Incorporated. We know that HPV consists of over 100 types of viruses. Some of these subtypes are more oncogenic than others. HPV infection is not just a female issue and it goes beyond cervical cancer. In fact, HPV infection can cause many cancers, including those of the head and neck. Dr. Spafford, does HPV infection play a role in oropharyngeal cancers? We have known about HPV causing cervical cancer for years. Um, and now we're fully aware of the increased incidence of HPV type 16 subtype in particular, causing mainly oropharyngeal cancers that is the tonsil and base of tongue. In the uh, previous times, tobacco and alcohol were our number one causes for throat cancer, uh, whereas now, in this day and age, oropharyngeal cancers are predominantly caused by human papillomavirus and they are occurring in younger males predominantly and females compared to previous. So what we have found is that HPV-related cancers are affecting males at about 4.5 to 1 ratio to females. In 2022, there was a doubling of incidence of males in middle age being diagnosed with head and neck oropharyngeal carcinoma and almost three times more males and females dying from it. So there is an incidence of deaths with this cancer. Dr. Spafford, given the severity of these head and neck cancers, could you comment on the psychosocial burden? Thank you, John. These cancers are devastating on these middle-aged males for the most part and females. The head and neck cancers, the oropharyngeal cancers, seem to have even more of a detrimental psychosocial effect than the other body cancers we deal with. Um, there's also a socioeconomic burden, a cost, um, and that's why uh, there's such prolific active research into preventing these cancers before they uh, get there. Uh, potential screening programs, which of course in head and neck are somewhat limited, and novel therapeutics for these cancers, in addition to the conventional chemoradiotherapy and uh, large surgeries that we do. Dr. Spafford, could you comment on the prevention strategies for head and neck cancers? Do we have any available screening? Yes, John. Um, so unfortunately, um, we do not have any screening method for head and neck or pharyngeal carcinoma induced by HPV. Unlike cervical cancer, where there's a pap smear, we don't have that available in head and neck oropharyngeal carcinomas. Because of that, early diagnosis or finding that premalignant lesion is basically impossible. So therefore, we really turn to the most effective prevention strategy, which is vaccination against HPV, which was developed originally for cervical cancer. And now, of course, we are using it for head and neck oropharyngeal cancer prevention. So it sounds like, you know, vaccination is the key here. So tell me a little bit about that. So we had originally started with a bivalent vaccine 
now we have refined ourselves with uh, intense research to a non-availent vaccine covering the nine types that are indicated in both benign and malignant disease, but definitely covering the subtypes that make you predisposed to malignant disease. It's been approved by Health Canada and validated by all of the agencies, organizations, and the various groups that are involved in the management of oropharyngeal carcinoma induced by HPV. It is an extrapolation because the latent period is quite long uh, between HPV infection acquisition to the ultimate development of the cancer. And Dr. Spafford, how do these vaccines work to prevent oral disease? Do they work directly? What's the mechanism behind it? So we do have data um, related to studies showing a reduction in the oral HPV incidence and the uh, time duration that one would carry the oral HPV infection in an active fashion. There is a biologic similarity between anogenital and head and neck HPV disease and the mechanisms of protection against HPV-related infection and disease uh, induced by prophylactic HPV vaccination. And Health Canada has indeed approved the nine-valent HPV vaccine for the prevention of oropharyngeal and other head and neck cancers, both for males and females caused by HPV. And again, based on the effectiveness uh, at present with the data we have for anogenital disease. How do we convince uh, patients and how do we discuss the efficacy of the HPV vaccine with them? Yeah, so there's no question that there's current studies going on that do show a prophylactic preventative effect of the uh, former vaccines and the current vaccines on the prevalence, the acquisition of the oral HP infections. One of the studies quoting 88% of reducing uh, oral HPV infections in vaccinated individuals compared to unvaccinated uh, ones. Um, a reduction observed in vaccinated males, uh, again, compared with unvaccinated males. Um, and this despite a much lower vaccination rate in men and women. That's great. Now, you know, any conversation with a patient that starts with efficacy always ends with safety. And I think it's real important that we say here that we know the HP vaccines are definitely efficacious, but they've been on the market for over 15 years with over 200 million doses administered globally. So I think that's super reassuring when you're having these discussions with patients. The side effects tend to be minor, local injection site reactions, things like that. So I think healthcare providers can confidently suggest these vaccines based on the safety as well. A question I get, Dr. Spafford, almost on a daily basis when I'm having these discussions around HPV vaccination is, am I too old to get vaccinated? What do you say to that? That's a great question, John. I mean, the answer is any age. So the Canadian Society of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, which of course endorses this vaccine, um, states that any age uh, is okay to uh, receive the vaccination. Now, of course, all of the provinces at this point in time have a school-aged children funded program, both for girls and boys now. Um, and the reason for that is we want to vaccinate uh, children prior to their first exposure to the HPV infection. And of course, um, funding the vaccines for both males and females has been a big change since we only used to 
fund or recommend vaccination to females for cervical cancer. For those patients who are clients who have missed the school funding program, or there's a reason they didn't get it, they can certainly obtain it at any age. And again, that is uh, backed by uh, the NACI, which is the National Advisory uh, for uh, Immunizations. You know, what I've really got out of this, Dr. Spafford, is that you know, HIV-associated head and neck cancers are really serious. Serious. It's a terrible disease, but it's preventable through vaccination. I think it's, you know, really all our responsibility to make those strong recommendations to get vaccinated. We know the vaccines are safe. We know they're effective. Health Canada's approved them. NACI's recommended them. I think it's a it's a no-brainer for for all of us as healthcare providers. Any final comments? Yeah, in agreement, John. I mean, we really need to do ongoing research on uh, the disease and the vaccines. Um, research will help um, target prevention because treatment causes an incredible amount of morbidity and the cure rate's not 100%. It has been proven that the vaccine prevents cervical cancer. And although the latent period is such that we can't prove at this point a one-to-one -one ratio of prevention, uh, it is thought that there is no doubt that the vaccine will prevent this new uh, epidemic of the number of oropharyngeal carcinomas we're seeing HPV induced. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for your time this evening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And that brings us to the end of the program. Thank you very much, John. HPV is a common sexually transmitted infection that could cause different kinds of cancer including oropharyngeal cancers. We know, Dr. Spafford, that uh, oropharyngeal cancers and HPV-associated cancers are, in the rise, are on the rise in Canada. Could you comment a little bit about that? Thank you, John. Um, there is an alarming trend of increased incidence of HPV, human papillomavirus-induced oropharyngeal carcinomas, uh, in males especially, um, and... Um, the prevalence seems to be in middle-aged males, sort of between the ages of um, 45 and 60. Our cancer statistics from 2016, that's our latest data, show that cervical cancer, alternatively, rates are trending downward, likely due to HPV immunization. These data highlight two items. Number one is the cancer burden that we're dealing with is not strictly related to cervical cancer. In fact, male oropharyngeal cancer is outpacing cervical cancer for numbers. And it also indicates the importance of educating patients about HPV immunization. Thank you, Dr. Spafford. I guess the key there is vaccination. I think it's by far the most powerful tool we have in our toolkit. What does the guidance suggest? What does NACI recommend with respect to who should get vaccinated? Yeah, good question, John. So um, all of the larger organizational bodies that um, give recommendations on vaccine uh, recommend it between ages of 9 and 26. The uh, National Advisory Committee for Immunization um, endorses that age group, but also indicates that any age is a candidate for the HPV vaccine. Other groups, such as the Canadian Society of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, also indicate that any age is um, okay to deliver the vaccine to. Um, we do have a school age program to uh, try to uh, influence the immune status of boys and girls from age nine on. 
but any age uh, is it's indicated. Thank you for that. What do the studies suggest around effectiveness of HPV vaccination? There are studies that show that the vaccine decreases the incidence and the duration of acquiring the HPV infection. There's certainly a proven benefit in being vaccinated uh, for reducing cervical cancer incidence. Um, even if the patient has already had cervical cancer. There are randomized controlled trials that have shown that HPV vaccination decreases the recurrence of cervical disease, not just the incidence. HPV vaccines have been around for a while now. There are a number of different types of vaccination programs all over the world. What's, what's the impact been of these uh, programs on infection and associated disease? Thanks, John. So yes, um, at this point in time, um, we do have data, for example, after five to nine years post-vaccination, the precursor of cervical cancer, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia grade two decreased by 31% in women aged 20 to 24. And after five to eight years post-vaccination, anogenital warts decreased by 32% in men age 20 to 24 years. And therefore, of course, because of this data, Health Canada has approved the HPV vaccine for oropharyngeal and other head and neck cancers. So again, we have data in the precursor to cervical cancer. We have data with cervical cancer and extrapolating that to oropharyngeal cancer, there is data that vaccination would be helpful in prevention. In my practice, time and workflow is a, a key thing, but there's a huge anti-vaccination sediment that's out there that many of us struggle with. And I think education is going to be key as well. For HPV specifically, the vaccine can sometimes be perceived as a prevention of a sexually transmitted infection, which it is. However, we have to remind ourselves, I think that HPV vaccine also prevents cancer. And that's an important conversation to have. One of the other challenges we have, Dr. Spafford, is the perception of uh, you know, around vaccine uptake. And I think when we think about, you know, pharmacists and physicians, when you ask them, what's the biggest barrier to vaccine uptake? A lot of times uh, what they feel it's cost, but then when you ask the patients, they don't say it's cost. They say, well, no one recommended it to me. So how do we overcome that? How do you kind of tackle this perceived barrier of cost? Yeah, I don't think um, cost, as, as much as it's talked about, I don't think that's a, a much of a barrier for our patients um, as a lack of awareness that there is a vaccine out there. And certainly as healthcare professionals, we have to do a better job. They need to be educated, reassured, um, sort of gentle encouragement that we have a cancer uh, prevention vaccine. And, you know, we're all on the same side here and, and offering advice in a non-judgmental way. I'm a little biased here, but I think pharmacists can play a huge role in this as, as well. I think, you know, we've taken on a lot of that vaccination responsibility over the last few years, particularly during COVID. And really, we've become a destination for immunization now. And I think it's because we're convenient, we're accessible, we're available. A lot of times, uh, patients don't need to make appointments to come uh, see us. So I think as a profession, we're really working on now as we come out of the pandemic, how do we drive and help to drive uh, immunization uh, with respect to these other vaccines? I think there's a huge opportunity for us uh, as a profession. The other uh, big issue, I think, is these pandemic-related gaps to care. We know during the pandemic, 
it was very hard to go in and see your physician. It was hard to get into urgent care or into some of the, the emergency rooms. I think patients were even weary coming to their community pharmacies. So there's a huge core of these patients that had missed doses. And I think we're really focused on using technology now to capture these patients, invite them back in and get them vaccinated. So I think over the next uh, few years, we'll see pharmacists uh, playing a bigger and bigger role. And I think related to that is probably, you know, getting other healthcare providers involved. What's your experience been with uh, dentists and other uh, oral health uh, professionals? Do you think they could be uh, great advocates as well? Um, absolutely, John. The disease is acquired uh, in the oral cavity um, through saliva for the most part. Um, and preventing HPV infection and, and HPV-related oropharyngeal cancers by raising awareness, education patients, um, all through the dental offices and promoting evidence-based uh, guidelines for vaccine recommendations. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think we can't forget about our friends, the nurses and the nurse practitioners. Obviously, they could also be uh, great advocates with respect, respect to health promotion and patient education. Obviously, they're very comfortable offering uh, immunization services. So uh, any experience that you've had with nurses or any commentary that you could provide? Yes, I mean, there's, there's such a whole team of different healthcare professionals involved in the uh, education, but certainly nurses are at the forefront of being the group, probably providing the most HPV education. If we're gonna really continue to push forward, uh, you know, try to hit these, public health targets for immunization. It's really gonna take a team approach. It's gonna be physicians, pharmacists, nurses, dentists, other oral health care providers. We've all gotta really work together. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on a, a multidisciplinary approach? Yeah, I think every um, agent we have that can assist in education and promoting the vaccine, the better. And based on Health Canada's indications, the nonavalent vaccine, nine subtypes targeted, can be given to individuals aged nine through 45 years of age, although any age group, um, it is um, okay to give the vaccine. And counseling in primary care providers will positively affect vaccine uptake. So we really need to um, have further education throughout all the healthcare professionals, including primary care providers. That's great. And I think with that, again, we come to the, the end of our, our, our presentation here this evening. I think I've taken home uh, some really key learnings. We know the vaccines work. Uh, we know they're effective. I think uh, for me, it's going to take uh, a multidisciplinary approach to keep trying to move forward and hit these targets. And I think it's our responsibility to give that strong recommendation to get vaccinated. And I think once we do that, uh, will we'll continue to be very effective and hopefully reduce this uh, burden, very serious burden around uh, head and neck cancers. Any final takeaways from you, Dr. Spafford? Well, thanks very much, John. It's been a pleasure. This is a rising uh, incidence of cancers with a terrific uh, patient morbidity, socioeconomic burden. Uh, treatment is not the answer, but is um, obviously a necessity uh, prevention is much more important with vaccination. We have data to indicate that the vaccines uh, no doubt decrease the incidence and duration of the acquisition of the HPV infection. And we've extrapolated that to preventing cancer down the road. Very important and I'm very uh, happy to be involved in it. 
Well, thank you for taking the time out to be with us. Thank you very much. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.